the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Well, uh, it's supposed to go up to 40 degrees today, so get ready, because uh, this week, this next week's supposed to be a snowstorm and cold weather, so something to look forward to. You know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder about Puxatani Phil. You know, he uh supposed to have an early spring. It sure doesn't feel that way. All right, let's get let's start thinking positively. Opportunities multiply as they are seized. That's from a Chinese book I, I saw over the weekend. I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, but anyway, uh, we always talk about our webpage. So if you Google or Bing Tim Hayes Radio, I show up. Or, you know, if, if uh, you're on WHK, go to WHK 1420 AM, hit the local podcast and go to the bottom and, and uh, there's Tim Hayes and uh, you can go directly to my webpage there too. So uh, good stuff on the webpage. Um, and I would suggest that the seminar information that I talked about is should be on there, I don't know, sometime in the near future. It depends on how long it takes them to say yes to it. Uh, but remember, uh, April 8th, that's a Monday, 6 to 8 o'clock, we're going to have our deep value seminar. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Chris, and I can't pronounce his last name, who's the founder of Marshfield. And Marshfield had, you know, Marshfield was up uh, 3% last year when the market was down 5 That's a good reversal. Uh, they, they really uh, have kept their losses to, you know, there have been two or three years of losses, maybe 1%. Uh, and then one year, in 2008, everybody lost a little bit of money, but they only lost about 15%. So the rest of the years, they've been positive. So they're really outdoing the S&P 500 by about three percentage points. They do a great, great job. Uh, and then we're going to have Bob Dickey, who is on my webpage, by the way. So if you go to my webpage and you look up the technical update, that's where Bob is every day. And uh, he, you know, sometimes if you see the market, see what it's doing, you'll understand a little bit better because... Look, you know, I had some people in uh, last year, about halfway through the year, and they thought the market was up 15%. Uh, so they're not keeping track of it, and, and that's a bad thing if you are running your own money. You know, if, you're, if you don't have somebody that's tracking it every day, knows what's going on, uh, you got a problem on your hands because they can tell you what to switch to and where to go, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, do you have the old or do you have the new type of life insurance? Uh, the old, you have premiums, death benefit, and maybe cash value. The new... You also have a living benefit, whereas you can tap that benefit during your lifetime to pay long-term care expenses. So if, do you have the new one or the old one? We have a new newsletter out, which you can get by hitting the contact me or the email me uh, on my webpage. So if you you Bing or Google Tim Hayes Radio or you go to WHK 1420 AM, hit the podcast, go down to mine, and then go to my webpage, you can get this. But there's a, there's a due date approaches for 2018 tax returns. What should you know? 
How much have you thought about health and health care costs in retirement? And four reasons your parent might, parents might be in trouble. There you go. So there's some stuff. I keep, uh, <laughs> I keep telling people about this, but uh, we had the Technology, Internet, Media, and Telecommunications Conference back in November, and very few people have sent in for this. That's why I know it's good. And that software, the software stocks in that are hitting home runs. <laughs> so I've only had like two people to turn it, uh, call in for it. So I, I know I have, I'm on the right subject, you know, when I'm, when I'm involved in. We also have a new piece out called Rewriting Retirement. And boy, uh, if you're 40 or 45 or 50, you should be reading this. I read it from cover to cover and uh, it opened my eyes a little bit. So I'll just say it to you, uh, you know, and there we go. And, Look, I, I, a lot of people have asked me uh, about their, you know, their estate planning, um, their, their just general, you know, a, a review of what their plan is, their estate planning documents, etc. And look, ninety nine percent of the documents out there are written properly. The question is, what is their intent? What is your intent? Because sometimes the estate planning document is not actually written the way you want, you know, the way you're thinking. So uh, if you'd like a review, let me know. Uh, be glad to help you out. Uh, we have a great guy who's, uh, you know, basically a wealth strategist, and he knows what he's doing. Um, but he, he talked about ways to, to work your qualified charitable deductions and uh, and all that good stuff. It's really pretty good. And, and for those of you who don't know what the heck's going on with Social Security, we do have a piece called Social Security at Glance. So there we go. Uh, Okay, let's get started here. Let's. According to the Federal Reserve report, home ownership among people aged 24 to 39 fell 9 percentage points to 36% between 2005 and 2014, with about a fifth of the decline being tied directly to student debt. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates 48 million people get sick, 128,000 are hospitalized, and 3,000 die from foodborne diseases each year in the U.S. Wow, that's a lot. China's growth has been slowing. In fact, last year's 6.6% growth rate was the slowest annual pace recorded since 1990. And this year's growth rate is not off that great. You know, it's this is interesting because right now we have this big generational shift. Um, and and uh, you're, you're looking at uh, a scenario where Innovation and demographics are creating attractive investment opportunities while driving the economy forward. Uh, you know, so look, baby boomers and Gen X and millennials are all increasingly embracing innovation and creating opportunities for leading companies across the industry sector. So baby boomers have an estimated $30 trillion in wealth, and they are increasingly turning to innovation, innovational medical treatments. All right. So Gen X, like their parents, enjoy experiences over acquiring material possessions. Millennials, along with Gen X, are reshaping consumer spending with their digital-first behavior. So if you if you find these companies, uh, you're in great shape, okay? Uh, one other thing I'll mention, you know, I, I read Warren Buffett's letter this week, and he talks about moats. You know, what is an economic vote, moat? It, it, it represents, well, I, let me step back. It's, it's a representation of a company's sustainable competitive advantage, which matters because while moat companies – whose competitive advantages are expected to be durable over time, have historically outperformed over a long period of time. So, uh, I mean, you know, moat companies have averaged a 10% return. 
while non-moat companies have averaged, uh, you know, especially uh, over, I'm talking about a five-year period here, about a 4%. So uh, look for moats. And if you don't know what they are, I, I've been working on that for a while now. So, you know, somebody asked me about Bitcoin, and all I'll tell you is that, you know, I, when Bitcoin was 21000 I said it was way, or 20000 I said it was way too high. It was a parabolic chart. And now I'll just tell you that it stopped going down. It's made kind of a rounded bottom, but I can't recommend it because I, I don't know what it's worth. So uh, for all those people there, there you go. And, and then I looked at the 10-year Treasury yield, and uh, it got right up to the downtrend line, and it stopped. So um, it'll be interesting to see if it breaks through there uh, because, you know, what we're talking about here is, uh, you know, uh, the first move out of this downtrend dating back all the way to 1982. So uh, we did talk a lot about the cost of being uh, undisciplined last week. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll continue that. You need to have a disciplined approach. Uh, and also, boy, the Russell 2000 is just uh, smearing the S&P 500 this year. So that's another thing to think about very, very uh, carefully. The small caps are really cheap. And what about oil and gas stocks? Um, look, we got to start to, I think what you got to do in that group is you got to start to identify winners in a well supplied world because I think it's going to be well supplied for a while. However, uh, you know, the question is how long and, and that's the major question. But look, in mid 2014, you know, we had crude at, it, it was between 85 and $105 a barrel. Okay. And, uh, and now, the troughed in the high twenties and now it's around 55. Okay. So look, I think we will see a uh, similar dynamics to the 1990s where we went sideways for a really long time. Uh, what happened then was we had a lot of expansion of the deep water drilling led to a big supply glut. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens here, but you know, we do have a lot of names that we really like uh, during, you know, in a well supplied type of scenario also, the emerging markets are still looking really good. I did notice the industrials. Uh, been watching those fairly closely. They have the most uh, improved record on a on the Dorsey Wright scoring basis over the last uh, six weeks, and uh, so it's been industrials, financials, and information technology, and consumer discretionary, and then healthcare. Um, and if I look over the last year. Uh, it, they've they've come up to number two next to technology. Now, precious metals was there. Precious metals have been selling off pretty pretty hard. Uh, most of it's due to defense stocks, and that's con- considered industrials. So I do have a list of really good-looking industrials. I did notice that uh, one of the industrials bought GE's uh, biotech group this week because they're partly medical, and they just soared. So I think there's a lot, a lot to be said about that. Uh, another thing I noticed is that uh, in the dynamic asset level investing that our friends from Dorsey Wright provide us, uh, we did have communication services jump over consumer cyclicals, which is interesting. I don't think we've talked about communication <laughs> services in 18 years, and we're now start. We've talked about it three weeks in a row, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I, I did uh, notice that a couple things. I've been I've been looking at a lot of re- utilities and REITs, and they seem to be breaking out. And people, I think, are are buying these. They're usually places to hide because of their dividend yield. But the sectors that appear uh, on you know most of my lists are utilities, software, semiconductors, and real estate. That's those are the groups uh, that I'm finding um, are the you know showing up most. Okay, 
uh, and, and utilities, you know, I mean, I've seen two or three different ETFs in the utility areas that are breaking out the new highs. Now, I like to buy utilities when they're down because the yield's up, all right, because part of, part of the reason you're buying, dividend, I mean, uh, utilities because they're high yield. Uh, but we are seeing a lot of stocks uh, breaking out here uh, in the, remember I talked to 90 to 100 area, the 90 to 100 area is really looking good. And I also noticed that the, the SM, S&P 500 uh, semiconductor ETF has broken out, uh, as well as the real estate index. So those two have really done quite well in the in the course of the last, uh, you know, six weeks, seven weeks. So uh, what's really interesting is I looked at commodity-related stocks and financials and banks and MLPs, and they're all kind of turning up together. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. But <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I just talk about it a little bit. I've been asked several times, you know, what do you think is a, are we in a bull or bear market? And I think we're in a structural bull market. And it depends on your definition of this. Uh, I look at the 17 and 34 year rule. If that's the case, we just entered it in 2017. Um, some people think we started the bull market in 2013. So it depends, you know, when will it end? Well, you know, it's, it'll either be 16, 17, 18 years from 2013 or 2017 is what it comes down to. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go over that. Hey, look, why don't we take a break, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk a little bit about 5G. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, don't forget our seminar, April 8th, uh, 6 to 8. It's a Monday at the Marriott Airport. We're going to have two people in there. We're going to have Marshfield, who I've talked about on the show many a times. They're a great deep value manager. Uh, and also Bob Dickey, our head technical analyst. I'm sorry. And, and you know, he's won more awards than I could ever think of. So it was a great one-two punch last year. We had about 63 people there. 19 of them said uh, that it was one of the best seminars they've been to. So uh, uh, either go to my webpage, uh, give me a call. That's 888-223-7742, 888-223-7742. You know, the next big thing in mobile uh, technology ecosystem is 5G. We've been talking about that for a while, so let's <laughs> let's beat the horse dead. Uh, this is just, a 5G is just a fifth generation wireless trans, uh, data transmission technology. And what what's interesting is it's operating at the highest speeds consumers have ever seen. The mobile device market is about the is, is all about speed, allowing connected gadgets to send data at high lightning pace. Okay, so transmission speeds significantly faster than 4G, allowing them to experiment with new age technologies like virtual reality. Uh, and and I'm talking about like I said last week. You know, you're sitting there with your grandkids watching Star Wars, and Luke Skywalker walks up behind you in a hologram. Okay. Uh, so, look, a lot of the cable companies do not have not spent any money on 4G, and so they have to start spending money on 5G, and, and it's going to be a lot. Uh, I mean, I listened to a conference call that, that 
this the last week or the week before, and the analyst was asked, you know, how much have the the cable companies spent? And he said one eighty seventh of what he thinks they're going to spend. <laughs> that leaves a lot of upside. <laughs> uh, all right, so look, we've had a little bit of initial rollout. Uh, there's some commercial uses ex- expected to be incremental. By the way, uh, you know, I, I talked to one of my clients, and and he said that. 5G was being rolled out in his neighborhood, the cable. And they, they rolled it out in my neighborhood just a, a couple of weeks ago, too. So 5G is now accounting for less than 9% of the U.S. Uh, uh, market. Um, and by 2020, according to a recent report from Cisco, uh, it, it well, I, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's supposed to be in- incremental, and it's it'll be, by 2022, it'll be 9% of the U.S. market. Growth will be even more sparse above as 5G will compromise just 6.5% of Western Europe. But performance-wise, 5G is expected to operate speeds that are three times faster than the speed of 4G, the fourth generation, primarily due to faster data speeds. Now, some people think it's going to be up as much as 20, okay? Uh, There are outliers. Uh, Verizon has reported that it anticipates the 5G network will operate at speeds 200 times faster than 5G. So, you know, that that's a lot. <laughs> Yet with the industry standard in place, it's difficult to say exactly how fast 5G device is going to run, okay? So that's the big problem. So the industry sentiment presumes that 5G will operate substantially quicker than 4G devices. That's a given. So the top wireless technology companies have already started releasing 5G networks in a piecemeal fashion, but Verizon officially launched its 5G broadband last October. AT&T rolled out a little bit here. And merger partners T-Mobile and Sprint are already uh, talking about 5G. But where are the cable companies? Now, look, there's regulatory oversight of 5G has become somewhat lax as the Trump administration is determined to clear the path for 5G in the U.S. and around the world. That'll be This will be a challenge to as China you know, represents a major competitive threat here. So, you know, ask this view on 5G. Trump recently declared a strong support for the technology on what 5G and even 6G technology in the U.S. as fast as possible. By the way, 6G is probably, you know, eight, nine, ten years away. There's a lot of money on the table here and, and much at stake for the companies looking to compete in the global 5G marketplace. According to 2008 data from researchhandmarkets.com, 5G will be a $250 billion market by just 2025. And it'll grow at an annual clip of 97%. Remember on the show, we talked about the cloud and no one knew what the cloud was. I had, I, I had so many emails. What is the cloud? Now the cloud, you know, is, is up there. And if you've been in the cloud stocks, you've made a fortune. Okay. And I've been in quite a few of them. Uh, there's, look, we, there, the, the case has been in a relatively short history of mobile, uh, generation technology, uh, Commercial strength has come about in only like 25 years or so. So it, it, it picked up. You know, we started out with 1G. That was the first generation. That was the 1990s. That's when everybody got excited and got too excited. Then two, then three, then four. And the, the fifth generation of mobile connectivity uh, will be known for its speed. Simple as that. Uh, the fourth G was much faster data tr- transmission and the introduction of mobile apps. Okay, so now it's just going to be it's speed. So all those text or mobile apps are going to be much, much faster. Uh, 
So technology will connect billions of devices, sensors, you name it. Uh, there'll be 3D printing. There'll be fully automated vehicles, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics. Uh, healthcare services will really be, I mean, you'll be able to see the doctor without going. Automated surgery is already happening. It's going to be even better. Uh, so it, it's going to get really interesting coming up here. And I think, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, they talk about five, I mean, 6G and, uh, you know, some expect that by 2030. Okay, so that it's still about 10, 10, 11 years away. But right now, 5G is taking center stage. So just remember that and uh, take it from there. Um, it's coming to a theater near you. <laughs> you know, I listened to uh, Fun Strand this week, and, and Tom Lee is, is pretty bullish about the economy. And he said he sees five reasons for double-digit up year for equity markets. He said, number one, the S&P fell 19% in 60 days. That's the biggest reason. Uh, stocks year after uh, uh, a negative return are usually uh, great. Stocks gain after PED rates to 2.5%. That's a little bit tougher to explain, but uh, it's one of his reasons. And stocks gain when the Association of uh, uh, American Individual Investors have uh, 28% less bulls and the PMI is above 51. That's the Purchasing Managers Index, which we have right now. We have a PE ratio uh, reset. It's now at 16 times where it was 25. So he expects some things to be uh, picking up pretty drastically. So uh, we'll see what happens. But look, you know, if you look at things, uh, a couple things. Oil commodities are plunging. Now they're surging again. Uh, that's a positive. The, ha- ha- uh, the Fed was hawkish. Now they're dovish. The White House policy was China shutdown capitulation, maybe. Who knows? Earnings, we had peak earnings, then we had a speed bump, and then we have some easy comparisons now going into 2020, which is very positive. And we had some serious risk with Brexit, Italy, et cetera. And, the, you know, we still have some serious risk. So that's the that's going to make everybody look over their shoulder a little bit, which is, you know, the wall of worry is important in a bull market. If there is no wall of worry, you don't have a bull market. It's that simple. Okay, so... um I listened to several technicians this week, Bob Schleimer, uh, a little bit of Bob Dickey, <laughs> a couple other guys. Uh, uh, our friend Tom Dorsey was on, uh, you know, watched a video with him. And look, the cycle uh, backdrop for U.S. equities remains bullish. That's that's my opinion. And with the S&P 500 early in on a new four-year cycle, similar to what it did in 2016. Now, we've been warning you about the four-year cycle. And and uh, actually, some of my most of my stocks held up with the exception of a couple. Uh because of the way I bought them, so that's good. But uh, breadth is measured by the S&P, and the New York Stock Exchange remains in uptrends and our, our leading equity indices to new highs. It's that simple. Uh, cyclical stocks are, are broadly early on a new bull cycle, I think. And, uh, you know, the tactical considerations heading uh, into the second quarter are going to be interesting because I think, inter, you know, on an intermediate-term basis, what we're going to have is a pause. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a you know major correction. Everybody thinks it's going to go test again. And I, I'm I'm not in that camp, but um, I think we're going to have a pause. And I think you know some of the weekly momentum indicators and that type of thing have become very very overbought, and they're likely to peak and and you know uh, will slowly but surely get over that. All right. So my my personal opinion is to stay bullish. Expect a, a tactical rotation in the second quarter. Uh, you know I'm seeing. Some um, healthcare stocks. I'm seeing some 
a couple of the fang stocks, you know, and I, I lots of the fang stocks I still won't buy. I'm seeing a couple of the uh, financials. I'm seeing some of the industrials. Uh, you know, some of the managed care people I, I was worried about, and they they got hammered by the Democrats. So that's kind of interesting. But look, the weekly quadrant balanced uh, data uh, is has moved into overbought territory. So we're probably going to see that pick up. You know, head head south a little bit. Uh, and and it won't be a, a big thing. It'll be a pause, I think. You know, uh, or 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 a bit of a pullback, but not a huge. You know, not what everybody's thinking. Look, the advanced decline lines hit new highs on all the indexes. The uh, the small caps, the large caps, and the and the mid caps. So uh, the mid caps are leading the way, and that's mostly because of the software companies. The small caps. If if it wasn't for software, the small caps would be really doing well. Uh, but the the mid caps have broken out to a new high. Growth versus value. Uh, uh, Small cap and and uh, large cap have not done that yet, and I'll just repeat: you know the emerging markets are starting to break out, uh, and I haven't been a big fan of the emerging markets, as you know, if you've been listening to the show for a pretty long time. So this is uh, you know a time to be adding a little bit of this, you know, uh, and you know I I did add uh, some China, not much, but I added a little bit of um, uh, money into China, and what I like about China is the relative performance versus the S and P five. 500 is continuing to uh, improve. So uh, you got to pay real close attention to that. Now, it, it did spike up, so you want to wait for that to pull back a little bit. The 10-year bonds, uh, I, I noticed that the relative strength momentum is pausing short-term, but it does look like it's heading up. So that means yields will probably go up a little bit here. The dollar index, you know, we said it was. It looked like it was heading south. Uh, that was at 97.6. Uh, it's now 96s. Uh, I mean, it's got a lot of support at 95, so if it doesn't hold there, it's got a little bit of a problem. And it does look like um, oil futures, you know, we we talked about the, the 60 to 64 area being kind of a target. That's where the 200-day moving uh, average is, and that's probably where I'd say it'd go. Copper uh, looks really strong. You know, it made a big move for 18 straight weeks straight up, then it pulled back, and now it's uh, broken out again. So uh, now uh, gold, you know, I said there'd be a pause uh, at the 24 level uh, on the GDX, it paused there. Um, the relative performance, what I'd like to see is the relative performance versus the S&P 500 pickup. Now, one of the things I am seeing is that if I, I look at the leadership groups, I'm seeing more and more companies show up on my on relative performance trends, which is really, really important. So, uh, you know, the, things are looking good. Uh, I just think, you know, we're, we're really overbought short term. So I don't think you want to be chasing anything. I think you want to come back to you for a while. Uh, don't get crazy. We'll be right back with a bullish percent. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. That took a stroll on the old long walk of the day. I, I, I met a little girl and we stopped to talk and find something. I, and I asked your friend, what's a fella to do? Because her hair is black and her eyes are blue. And I knew right then, I've been taking a Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. And a couple things. Number one, uh, we have a couple lists that you can get. And one I talked about was the technology, internet, media, and telecommunications list. Uh, actually, don't talk as much about the telecommunications stocks that they're breaking out. Uh, but also our dividend growth portfolio, which is a really good way, uh, you know, if you're in the 40s, 
dividend growth and you buy more more shares uh, each time the dividend comes, you're compounding your money. Believe me, over time, it's just can be a very, very powerful retirement tool. Very, very powerful retirement tool. For those of you who retired, the prime income list is is got like a four point four uh, four point. I'm sorry, four point one percent dividend yield. It was four point four. Uh, and, and you know, you want to be looking at that next time. If we do get this little shallow sell off, I'm thinking about that'd be a good time to buy it. We also have our bond list. You know, there's a lot of attractive municipal bonds out there. You know, double A rated, high quality stuff, and uh, you know, go from there. And don't forget our seminar. Uh, <laughs> April 8th, 6 to 8 at the Marriott Sheridan. We're going to have Bob Dickey, our head technical analyst. that got more awards than he knows what to do with. And also uh, the folks from Marshfield, a very, very fine money manager, uh, deep value in a big way. So uh, stay tuned. It's coming. Anyway, so now we uh, we get to the point where we talk about the bullish percent. The bullish percent was designed by a protege of Charles Dow back in the 30s. And... Uh, what he wanted was a risk guide. So this doesn't tell you the market's going up this much or going down this much. It just tells you if there's more risk, okay? So it's a chart from zero to 100. The closer you get to 100, the more risk you get. The closer you get to zero, the less risk you have. We want a column of O's. We have the offensive team on the field. Depending on our field position and some other things we look at, like you know what is the best asset class out there, uh, you can throw the long pass. When we're at 70 and we're at a column of O's, that's where distribution occurs, and that's that's when you want to be careful. So there's two lines, 70 and 30. 70 is what we call the red zone. The red zone, things getting overheated, getting too hot to handle. And uh, when you get up there, you gotta you got to worry, okay? Because distribution happens a lot faster. Now look, if you want to buy a stock and just put it away, don't worry about it. But if you want to buy a stock and, and have it go up uh, versus go down right away, uh, you, you can use these things to your advantage. When you get below 30, that's the green zone. That's when everybody hates stocks. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> my mother-in-law doesn't invite me to Thanksgiving dinner, you know, that type of stuff. Okay. So, uh, it, it's, it's a time when, you know, when stocks are washed out, we just had one of those. And I said it, you know, the, the week of Christmas. And I said the week after I said, don't get too bearish. We are up 15% since then. All right. So, uh, now Unfortunately, I didn't buy as much as I should have. Nobody ever does. Uh, but I am a lot more invested than most people. Uh, so there you go. The, the, the situation is now is that the bullish percent was up another 4.9% to 56. So we've gone from 24 to 56 in a matter of eight weeks. That's a big move, folks. All right. So, you know, think about that for a second. The over the counter index of the small caps, which is still in a pretty good place now. Uh, by the way, you're going to get near 60. You, got, you, you think there's going to be a bit of a pullback. But the over-the-counter index is at 45. It was up 3. And the world index was up 4 to 46. So below 50 is still a good place to be buying things. Uh, above, uh, you know, 56, you're getting near 60. So you, you want to be a little bit more cautious on the large-cap stocks. Um, but all of them remain in the column of Xs. So the offensive team's on the field. That's good. Uh you know, I, I'm looking at some of the other indicators that are in the 30-40 area, which is very positive. The high-low uh, indicators, that's the number of new highs and new lows, are all in the 80s and 90s, so they're overbought. But they're good overbought. <laughs> okay? So what does overbought mean? Well, with, with markets having run so far, the question is, have investors missed the boat or is it time for a pullback? The weekly distribution calculation referenced a uh, 
provides a meaning for you know, measuring overbought, oversold nature of, the, of individual stocks. So if we go back in time to Statistics 101, uh, which I talk about on the show a lot, uh, you know, you have discussions regarding distribution and bell-shaped curves. Think of the 10-week trading band as a normal distribution for a stock or an index where the middle of the 10-week trading band is the middle of the bell curve. All right, so this is where, you know, if, if we're near the top, this is where the stock wants to trade. It wants to trade the middle. If we're near the top, it wants to come back to the middle. If it's near the bottom, it wants to come back to the middle. So if we're overbought on a 10-week trading basis, then you got to be, you know, be paying attention is what it comes down to. So if I look at the weekly distribution for the S&P 500, uh, it's reached 40% 23 times since 2000. For the just the 10th time, it has recently hit 50. Okay, so that's a that's a major... <laughs> statistically overbought scenario. Okay. So just, just remember that and, and keep that in the back of your head when you're buying things, buy things that are down. Don't buy chase things right at the moment. Okay. Uh, so the S and P 500 performance following the last 22 moves to 40 interest, in, interesting enough is an average of 22 events produced a positive return over a one, three and six month performance. Okay. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Now when we had moves above uh, a 50, we had an 11% return over a six-month period, a 2% return, 15, 9, negative 3, 12% return, a 10% return. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what we have so, you know, come, coming towards us. Uh, never know. I looked at all the charts, and all the charts look pretty good. I'll just say the weekly momentum's been positive for seven, eight weeks on all of them. It doesn't matter if you're looking at small caps, mid caps, the Dow, the QQQs, the S&P 500 uh, equal weight index or the market capitalization weight, weight uh, index. Seven, eight weeks uh, is the average time for weekly momentum. Uh, so you don't want to get too excited here. OK, you should have got excited right during Christmas when I told you to. <laughs> and and I think that. Um, look, I looked at nine out of ten uh, major ETFs uh you know, and this week and the loser for the week was the small cap uh, index, which is down half a percent. Uh, the, the Morgan Stanley corporate emerging market led the pack with a 2.2% gain. So the, the markets are up, the EEM is up an impressive 11% this year, by the way. So that's pretty good. But leading, uh, by the way, the developed markets by the EFF, EFA, which is the uh, developed markets, by about uh, a percentage point. So that's really good too. Uh, but the EEM is, is starting to get uh, really kind of an interesting chart. You know, in late January, it, the 3.25% relative strength comparing the EEM to the EFA, which is the developed ETF, uh, you know, we returned to a column of X's. So it, it, the emerging markets are the place to be. And, and quite frankly, a lot of that is Asia and Brazil. So just remember that when you're, uh, uh, you know, if you're buying the EEM, uh, you know, you can also look at those two and and, and go from there. Now, look, uh, back <laughs> Christmas Eve, uh, or I mean, uh, the week before Christmas, when I said we had no groups that were positive, no groups that were favored. We now have 13. Uh, gaming, which was at 22 at that point, has gone to 80. So gaming stocks made a huge move, and it never became favored, by the way. didn't have all the five attributes. So what we do have is, and I'm going to talk 
about the favored sectors here. You want to stay in the favored sectors because that's where the money's made most of the time. Uh, the worst stock in a favored sector will usually outperform the best stock in an unfavored sector. So semiconductors and electric utilities are 65. You might want to hold back on those. Gas utilities, protection services, and software at 60. Once again, you want to hold back on those. At 50, we have Wall Street, telephone, telephone stocks, healthcare, and insurance stock. Now, there's places you can still buy there, I think. You know, that's, that's where you want to, you know, be looking pretty good. And then housing went positive this week. Uh, and everybody's been talking how negative, you know, housing's been, which I think is uh, kind of interesting. And there it goes. It becomes a favorite sector. And that's at 45. So that's a good place to buy. Biotech and restaurants are at 40, uh, so those are two uh, excellent places to buy. And then precious metals is at 30. So, uh, you know, precious metals, I, I told you I thought, you know, it had to get through a certain thing. It did not. It failed again. So let's see if it, if the bounce, if, if it pulls back a little bit and then takes off and then breaks through. We'll see what happens. But um, I, did, I did notice something. Uh, we now have oil, oil service, drugs. Steel and iron and transports are the only, oh, I'm sorry, and retailing are the only groups below 30. Before we had 38 of the 40 sectors. Uh, semiconductors did go favored this week, and uh, and gaming is up to average, which is interesting. Um, I mean, they've gone coast to coast there, so it's, uh, it's really kind of interesting. You know, I was looking at some of the international ETFs, and, and Saudi Arabia broke out. So uh, who knows? Maybe uh, the fact that they're, you know, they think the uh, the oil business is picking up. Uh, I will say this. it, um, You know, there's not spending a lot of money on basic material research and development and uh, or spending money in the copper fields, the steel fields, the precious metals. There's no money being spent. That's usually the ultimate bottom. The five-year yield index is still in a column of O's, and if it, it would break to 240 something here uh, to, if, it, if it broke to 2420 uh, 2.425 uh, we we would uh, break a triple bottom uh, which probably means they wouldn't be coming back soon and I guess the best bond group that I I can see right now is the convertible bonds and they they convert into common stock uh, for those of you who don't know it but they're they're hybrid security and they feature both debt and equity they give the bondholder the right not the obligation but the right to exchange the bond for a predetermined number of, sh- of uh, shares uh, to the issuer's common stock. So it, it's a convertible bond investor can profit from exercising the conversion option and the market price of the issuer's stock is higher than the conversion price. Okay, so uh, convertible bonds look pretty interesting. There's a lot of broken convertible bonds, so be careful out there. Convertibles make up only a small portion of the overall bond market, uh, so constructing a portfolio of them is difficult, so make sure that you know what you're doing. You might want to use ETFs. Uh, oils. Nine straight weeks of positive uh, momentum. Gold went negative this week. Uh, copper continues its surge up six weeks straight weeks. Um, precious metals are at a point where I think you just want to be a little bit more careful. But it look, there is a major underinvestment by commodity producers right now, and I think it's setting the stage for large price increases in, in raw materials coming up here. So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, watching uh, some of the ETFs. Relative strength is how we measure a stock is performing when compared to something else. In the case of the S&P 500, uh, in this case, I'm sorry, the S&P 500 and or its group. And so the ones that went to buy signals, these are names you want to write down. Anglo Gold, Hydrogenics, Galactin Therapeutics, Miller Industries, Odyssey Marine, Scientific Games, Superior Industries, uh, Bluebird Bio, Bramer Hotels. It's a REIT, by the way. 
Unicure in the Netherlands, Immune Design and Spark Therapeutics on the cell side. Oh, Acacia, too, by the way. Cell side, B&G Foods, Jack in the Box, USN, USANA, and Select Medical Holdings. We'll be right back with the insiders. Stay tuned. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, once again, uh, if you'd like uh, any of the lists we talked about, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our top ideas. I forgot about those. Our top ideas or our telecommunications. I'm sorry, our technology, Internet media and telecommunications conference. Uh, Boy, those stocks are are hot. I don't know if they're going to stay hot, but they were hot for a pretty long time. Uh, Also, I'll talk about our seminar at the end of the show here. All right, so we, we, we've now given you relative strength buy signals, which are very important because those are names, you know, we've, we've taken from a grand economy down to uh, uh, some names that, you know, people are buying. Now, look, insiders are early, remember that. Uh, so now we're going to talk about them because they know their company better than we do. And uh, uh, I forgot who this, oh, this is uh, Southby's, which uh, is Symbol's bid. Uh, Southby's Michael Goss is the CFO. And he bought 27,959 shares, and there was nine others that bought between 6,000 and 30,000 shares. So we had nine total uh, buyers, anywhere from 6,000 to 30,000. I love when the CFO buys, you know, uh, it's a $50 stock, $15 stock uh, times 28,000. That's uh, not chump change. Um, RTI Surgical. Um, we had... Another CFO by the name of Jonathan Singer by 54,000 shares. There was five people who bought 54,000. And you may recall back uh, last week, we had five more that bought 27,000. So something's happening at RTI Surgical. I uh, don't know what it is yet, but we'll find out, I'm sure. Uh, remember, insiders are early. Now, by the way, we talked about Genesea <laughs> Pharmaceuticals last week, and on Monday, uh, Glaxo Smith Klein Beecham uh, said they own 12.7% of the company. And you may recall NEA uh, owned 49% on Friday. The stock went from 52 cents to a dollar in, in, in a day. It's a hundred percent increase. We had, we had three deals in the biotech sector uh, on Monday and two of them went up a hundred percent or more, which is interesting. Uh, and by the way, the buyers went up. So when the, both the buyers and the buyee uh, go up together, I bet you investment bankers are calling all their pharmaceutical companies right now. That'd be my humble opinion. But I noticed that Arcadia Biosciences, that Hudson Bay Capital Management, reported a 9.9% passive stake in it. Uh, Hudson Bay is pretty smart money, from what I understand. And that's Arcadia uh, Biosciences. Uh, also, GoGo, which is... Uh, Diversified Communication Services. The CEO bought 660,000 shares. He's got a ton of it already. And the CFO bought 
550. Those are two guys that know what they're doing, uh, usually in most companies, so uh, pay attention there. And then Harold Hamm, maybe one of the, you know, Harold Hamm, Richard Kinder, and, and the folks that own Enterprise Products are some of the smartest people in the oil business. Harold Hamm bought $39 million worth of Continental Resources. Uh, he is no dummy. He may be one of the smartest guys in oil. And then Kinder Morgan, Richard Kinder, who's been on a, a tear buying a stock. He started buying it at 15. It's now 19, and he just bought another $14 million worth this week. So he's he's bought that'd be 70, uh, about $78 million since it was, you know, since the beginning of 2019. So he, he's been buying up everything he can get his hands on. Mattel, after it just got slammed from 17 down to 14, the CEO and president bought $1.8 million and three directors uh, bought a little bit each. And then um, Transdium, uh, which hit a new high, and at the new high, a director bought $99 million. They're getting hammered by uh, the green folks uh, for pollution and stuff like that. So be careful with that one. The, you know, the greenies are going to go after them. New residential investment, uh, which is a REIT. CEO bought a million dollars worth. And then finally, uh, BCB Bancorp, which is a Northeast bank, there was three directors bought $1.26 million, $1 million, and $666 million. Uh, worry about those type of numbers. <laughs> All right, so what else do I see? Well, here's a couple things I see. Uh, number one, you know, crude oil uh, and the stock market, the Trends of crude oil in the stock market tend to follow each other in the same direction. Most of the time with some differences in timing and magnitude uh, of the moves, but overall the trends are quite similar. Um, you know, and this could be because oil prices are a decent measure of economic conditions and also, uh, you know, kind of a sentiment measure of investor confidence. The sim- similarity is not there all the time, but has been much more apparent over the last year The the direction of the trends being close, but oil usually having a higher percentage of volatility. Uh, so it's difficult to say which security leaves the other. But, uh, boy, the charts look ex- exactly the same. Oh, I forgot to mention COT. There was two directors that bought, uh, one bought 760300 and the other bought four hundred sixty. Sorry, they got caught in my thing here. So um, so most, the majority of stocks have uh, a similar recent pattern to the market indexes as uh, most have fell sharply in December and now have recovered big bounces. And then for some of the stocks have measured like 20% or more, you know, it's been a big bounce. So we're expecting a pullback. Uh, I don't know how big a pullback. I think it's going to be shallow. Uh, now, Bob Dickies thinks it might be a little bit more than shallow. It might be a couple hundred points on the S&P. That'd be... That'd be, you know, 10%. Um, but, you know, when we look uh, for value stocks to buy, we're mostly looking for those issues that have been down and in bottoming for an extended period of time. The, the ones that went up very quickly were the ones that went down very quickly and mostly in the technology and were leading before that. So the value stocks have been down for a long time. So what you see is the market indexes tend to be up for a year, but not all stocks have been seeing the same success as the indexes. A lot of stocks have been going sideways, you know, uh, for, you know, since October, let's say. And uh, some of them been, you know, going, been extended periods of time they've been going sideways. So, uh, you know, the telecom stocks, this is another perfect example. You know, there's a lot of stocks there that haven't, you know, they're up for the year. But, uh, you know, if you look at a uh, monthly chart, they're still in long, long bottom. So 
It'll be interesting to see, by the way, this, you know, we still have this fight between value and growth. And uh, over the, this is the first time on a 10 year rolling basis that growth has outperformed value ever in the history of the stock market. So that's kind of interesting. Number one. Number two, it's the longest period of outperformance by growth over value in stock market history. Now, if you look at a, a flat piece of paper and you put a line flat on there and that's relative performance, you know, the, they merge usually and it's usually a quick merge. So it'll be interesting to see if, if we continue to see this uh, outperformance by value. And by the way, we're back at where we were in 2000 uh, as far as where value is versus growth. Uh, growth isn't uh, at, as high as it was in, in 2000, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's a switch here, you know, uh, and that may be the dollar would cause that, by the way. So, uh, by the way, usually in a bull market, the do- dollar goes up for a while and has a couple sell-offs and that type of thing. So uh, I just think that, you know, we're looking at some scenarios where, uh, you know, you're you're in a situation where we were very, very oversold. Now we're very, very overbought in a very short period of time. And most of you probably shaking your heads. What's going on? Well, look, I'll just say this. Uh, you know, the day after Powell spoke, the bullish percent turned down. I sent a note to a lot of people. Uh, you know, matter of fact, Bob Dickey told you, uh, you know, back in April or March when we had our last uh, presentation, he said there's an 18% move or 18% gap between where we were and the, and the bottom end of the uptrend line. And he, was, he hit the nail on the head. I mean, he hit the nail on the head. His timing was perfect and everything. So the point is, is that, uh, you know, we went to the bottom end of the, you know, that 18% now. And so we might go to and test that line and that would be an uprising line. That's about six or 7% from here. So, you know, if we have a correction, I think it'll be a shallow one, not a, you know, hard nosed one. It'll scare people. That's what it's supposed to do. You know, if you're all ready to jump in the stock market, <laughs> you shouldn't be, uh, you know, but you know, look, a bull market is designed to keep, to make the most money for the least amount of people. And a bear market is when everybody at the end of a bull market jumps in because they know it's going to go up like they did in 2000, 1999, et cetera. And then they lose the most amount of money and only the smart people make the money in between. So be smart. That's all I'll say. Uh, once again, uh, China stocks have, have broken out a little bit. They just went straight up. So uh, hold back. The banks are still lagging, but I'm seeing some early signs of movement, and I'm seeing that in industrials too. And I would still say that the small caps are probably two and a half standard deviations below zero uh, on a valuation basis, and probably still three and a half uh, deviations below large caps. That's where the action should be coming up here, I would think. Um, And, you know, I said that for a while, and so far this year it's starting to happen. So, uh, keep your fingers crossed. Once again, uh, we have the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list for those guys who are looking for, you know, to compound. Prime income list is a great way to uh, pay your bills. <laughs> 4.1% dividend yield. You only you remember you pay a much lower tax on dividends than you do on, on CDs and bonds. And, and the dividend growth portfolio for you guys that are 40, for, I don't know, I, I would say from 30 all the way to 50. You know, if you if you can start buying these things and letting them compound by buying more stock, uh, it's a powerful tool for retirement, powerful tool for retirement. And then our best idea list and also 
are technology, internet, media, and telecommunications conference. It was back in November. We've only sent two out. All right. So uh, there's been just unbelievably amount of good ideas in there. So I don't know if it's going to continue, but uh, I would certainly suggest that you read it anyway. And don't forget, uh, April 8th, we're having Marshfield in town. Uh, one of the great deep value managers out there. Uh, you know, Chris is on Swartmore's board, uh, college's board. He runs their pension. He's a very brilliant guy. Uh, he's, he's a graduate of Columbia along with Warren Buffett and a few others. Uh, smart guy. We have Bob Dickey, who's our head technical analyst. I told you he's got more awards than he needs. Uh, he's, he's promised to send me a few. Uh, but he, he's, does our daily technical analysis every day on my webpage. So if you go, if you Google Tim Hayes or, or Bing Tim Hayes radio, I show up or you go to WHK 1420, go down to the local podcast, Tim, go to Tim Hayes. You can go direct, directly to my webpage from there. Hit the contact me or email me and sign up today. Uh, we're only going to have a certain number of people. So, uh, you know, it's filling up. Um, I think I think we got a third of what we're we're looking for already, and uh, I did not see what came in Friday. So, uh, sign up now and forever hold your peace. Right, be there, be square. Hey, thanks for listening. This is Martin Vester Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free, eight 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 two two three seventy seven forty two. That's eight 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 two two three. 7742 or visit his website rbcwmfa.com slash tim hayes that's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash tim hayes please join us again next saturday for the smart investor hour to hear more smart investing from tim hayes of rbc wealth management Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.